Jamie Carter, and this is the Power of Purpose podcast where we explore how to live a purposeful life and how creative people like yourself can make a living doing what you love doing. And these three ladies today on the show today love what they are doing. They are hilarious, accomplished comics who've done so much because today we are talking about Black Female Comics Matter. I wanted you to meet Alicia Cooper. She's a mix between Chris Rock, George Carlin, and Margaret Cho, which- I sure am! That's right, girl. <laughs> That's who you are. Uh, but she's done so much. It's overwhelming. Not only has she's played practically every club across this country, but she's also performed overseas for our men and women in uniform in Japan. Korea, Guam, she's done so many TV shows. And right now, what she's doing, she is a writer, director, producer, and is now, has, she's directed her own suspense thriller film called Trade about two men sharing a prison. Please welcome Alicia Cooper. <laughs> oh my God. I, and now we have Hope. Flood, who is an on-air radio and TV personality, a live streamer, and she is a comedy booker, and she is so supportive of other comics. She produces Comics Rocks Convention, which shows comics how to network, learn to be better comics, and help them learn about their comedy game. She's been in the business for over 20 years. She's done best-selling comedy books, albums, Headline on the all the well-known comedy clubs in the world. Please welcome Ms. Hope Flood. Hey, thank you. Oh, thank yeah. You. Oh. yeah. <laughs> thank you, Judy, for having us. <laughs> oh, great being, great being had here. Um, and Jackie, fabulous. I just rooted for Jackie, and she went all the way up to the semifinals in America's Got Talent. You can see her incredible performances online. She's a gut-busting writer, producer. She's a speaker. She's a headlining comic. And what's so amazing about Jackie is that she not only makes people laugh, but she inspires inspires others because she's a motivational speaker and she also hosts mentoring workshops and showcases to help women of all ages boost their self-esteem and work through their weight issues. So welcome Jackie. Fabulous. Woo! Thank you, Julia. And, Jackie and they, fabulous. And if you to email me that bio, Judy, that was fantastic. <laughs> <Did you like? laughs> yes, send that to me. <laughs> I didn't know all this stuff about you. I thought, my goodness, it should have been nice. <laughs> I know. When, when yeah, she I said know. me, I was like, who is that bitch? She sounds amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so I want you, all my listeners, to get ready. Get yeah. ready because I have told these three ladies that I want to give them this time to just cut loose and let's just start talking about your experience um, as a black female comic. And so I, let's just take away, I would like you to talk a little bit about what you've experienced in comedy as a black woman on the road, in the in show business, and just take it away. 
Who Ooh. wants to start? Who wants to start? I know. I know. Since I all of this Hope has been... Hope has the best stories. <laughs> now, let Jackie go. I'll go last, Galicia, okay. so I can bring okay. it all home. Okay, okay. Hope, yeah, bring yeah, it all home. Close, okay, close it all out. Right. You know, you, you know, since the Black Lives Matter movement has gotten so hot, I've gotten a lot of invitations from white people to do their podcast and their radio show, and <laughs> I'm so I, I am busy as fuck. I was like, what? I'm like, every time I check my email, somebody white, like, hey, you want to build my car podcast? I'm like, who the hell are you? Who, who the fuck are you? <laughs> who the fuck are you? So I am booked by by Caucasians out of my ass. I'm like, wow, okay. Um, <laughs> You know, it's, for me, my particular story is that I work in what they call the mainstream world, but the mainstream world, we were just, you know, cut through all the clutter. It's, it's white. It's white audiences, white clubs. You know, I, my, before the, the Rona hit, that's black folks call it Rona, but white folks, we let y'all call it Rona too. Before it hit, I was in all the whitest parts of the world. I was in Arkansas when this happened, Oklahoma, Nebraska. And some of these clubs that I did, I actually would ask the audience jokingly, how, how many of you, this is the first time y'all are seeing a black girl up close? And I was joking, but when I tell you the, the dead silence, <laughs> because they were like, oh shit, how she know? I ain't never seen nobody black up close like this, unless they were, I don't know, delivering my mail <laughs> or wearing a nursing outfit. You know what I mean? So being a black woman in comedy, it's been a, a blessing. It hasn't been a curse at all. It's been a challenge. Curse is too negative. It's been a blessing and a challenge because people, I think they want to know my experience of being somebody of color and they want to, most people want to feel like they can relate to me. I think more than being challenged by my message, they're like, I just want to, I want to hear her talk and then I want to feel like I know her. And like, we're the same. I find that more often than I do any kind of racism or any kind of reluctance to accept me. People after the show is that the women are like, girl, I didn't know that. I thought it was just me. You know, we have the same this, I have the same that. And I have found that my career has been able to, I've been able to break through by relating to people. But if I were to be honest, there's always been a part of me that has kind of felt left out of the black comedy community because <laughs> Because people, bookers, clubs, people who put the, the, those tours together, you know, they, a lot of them have said to me, I didn't know you could rock, I didn't know you could rock and handle, you know, a quote unquote urban room or real urban, call it ghetto room. And I'm like, I'm a, I'm a comic first. And then I'm a woman, I'm sorry, I'm a, I'm a black woman, black person first, then a woman, then a black female comic. So my journey has been, I've always kind of had to prove myself depending on what room I'm in. Like when I'm in a white room, in my opinion, it's been a little bit, it's a tad bit easier because if you smile and have dimples, they're like, oh, she's so cute. Oh! And I, I ain't said nothing. I ain't told a joke yet. But when I go to, but when I go to a black room, they're looking at me like, bitch, you not some more. You better be funny. I swear to God, I had nothing else to do tonight. That's why I came. Tickets were free. You know, and so I usually have to prove myself when I'm in a room with audiences that look like me. So my career is always kind of like this. It's called, it's depending on where the bookings are. And, but that's the world we live in. The world we live in, you have to navigate to survive in the comedy community. You can't let any kind of room or any kind of audience intimidate you. You have to be proud and you have to know who you are as a black woman before you can actually take this job 
uh, to the grave. When you decide that this is the last job, this is the last, I can't work anywhere else. I'm unemployable. This is the last job I can have. I'm now in the place where I'll curse off any, you know, asshole employer. This is, I'm, I'm unemployable. This is the last job I could have. And being a black woman now is an asset to me, it's an asset for me. It's not really a, a liability anymore. It helps me. People want to go hear a funny black girl because, you know, the, the full figured sassy black chick, that's a brand. You know, that's a brand. You look it up in the dictionary. They want to, you know, when I go on auditions, they're like, they try and find a nice, you know, safe way to be like, can you, can you, you know, can you maybe jazz it up a little bit? That's their way of saying, bitch, you, you black. We want to see the black girl in this audition. So it's, you know, I'm always a black girl no matter where I go. But I think it's helped me mature in this business because you can't run away from the color that you are. And it's helped me bring who I am to every, I don't change my set, my personality, my style when, the, when I work in a different room. If I work South Carolina, if I work Irvine, I bring the same jokes, the same girl, the same tone, the same personality. And I think in the, the world we live in now, it's more important that I, I hold steadfast in who I am because now, you know, we're going through a pandemic, unemployment, racial equality issues like the whole world is on fire technically right now so it's i think as a black woman now is the, the a really great time for me to hold hold true to who i am to go back to work when work begins again not forget what we're going through right now and you know milk it being a black woman it's you know i can profit off of this because like i said white people will not leave me alone right now because of what's going on in the world. That could be a negative to some, but to me, you know what? I don't care how I get in. If you need to book me as a part of an affirmative action program or, or I'm a token, whatever the hell it takes to get me in, if you can get me in, I will walk in, I will roll it, I will run in and share my message because I'm part of the cure. People, people who are black are part of the cure and white folks, you are the ally. You gotta be an ally now. It's more, it's less urban and mainstream white and, and ghetto. It's more like people. That's how we gotta get through all this. So that's my experience. It's, it's going well so far, although I'm not at work right now. So how well is it going? You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm on Zoom. I do 87 Zoom shows a day. <laughs> but I'm working. And we'll get through this. So that's my that's my that's my spiel on being a black woman in comedy. It's a blessing and a challenge. That's the moral of my story. Oh, thank you for that. Sure. <laughs> so friggin' funny. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, Hope. Oh, Hope wanted to go last. Okay. Alicia. Alicia. Alicia, I'll go next. Yes, uh, my experience is completely different than Jackie. <laughs> we all have different experiences. Why it's fantastic. Yeah, there's not going to be anything funny about this. Bring out the tissues. We're about to start crying. Okay. I've, been, I've been doing this for 20 years, and I've worked all black rooms. I've worked all white rooms. I've worked different groups like me at different times. So I bounce back and forth, and I don't really mind whichever one I'm in. That's fine. I just want to be treated fairly you know because when you're starting from the beginning you're at the end of the line and for me i started in la even though i grew up in maryland then i moved back to i just started the end of the line then i moved back to maryland i'm at the end of the line in maryland then i moved to new york city i'm at the end of the line in new york city then i moved to las vegas i'm at the end of the line in las vegas so i've had to reinvent myself several different times in several different cities and it's never been easy and as a black woman you, you always ask like who are the bookers 
and does this booker book black women? Because you'll be surprised at how many bookers don't. You know, so when I went to uh, back to Maryland, I asked, I said, oh, I want to get him with this particular chain. It's a Southern chain. I'm like, no, he doesn't book black women. So I would still try when, they, when I would hear that and they would, they would be right. So even when I got to um, Atlantic City, I, went to, I wanted to work the um, Tropicana, Bob Kephart's Tropicana. And it was such a long road. This would be a very long story. But they told me, they said, yeah, over the 20 something years that he's had this club, he's never worked a black woman, not an MC, a feature, or a headliner. But they said, if you can find somebody on our website who works here and have them refer you, then we'll at least get you and um, you can come and do a showcase. Now, mind you, I live in Maryland. I would have to drive like three and a half hours to showcase. So I looked on the website. I didn't know any of those comedians. Then I saw Jimmy Walker. So I said, well, let me send him a private email and ask if he'd be willing to look at some of my stuff and possibly refer me. Jimmy Walker just completely ignored me. So a couple more months went by and I saw another young lady. I don't want to mention her name because I don't want to bring her into the story. But I, I reached out to her and she said, I'll refer you. She said, I've never seen a black woman working, but I'll refer you. So she referred me. Three more months went by. And then they called and said, you can come up here to showcase on a Sunday because some Sundays Bob pops in. Oh, <laughs> my God. There's no guarantee but if he's going to pop in, it'll be on a side. So I'm supposed to drive three and a half hours and hope that he pops in. Like, yeah, yeah, that's pretty much what we're telling you. So I said, shit, that's a lot of get all those tolls between Maryland and New Jersey. Not mentioning the gas. So I get in my car and I drive and all of a sudden Bob comes in. He has on these Birkenstocks and his hairy toes are out. Mine just like November. Like, why are you wearing sandals in fucking November? I knew he was a goddamn weirdo. So he comes stumbling in his shorts and some <laughs> sandals and his hairy, hairy toes out. And I said, this is going to be really interesting. And so I got on stage and I did whatever amount of time I had to do. And after that, he said, yeah, he said, we'll work you. And let me tell you, that was like a Sunday. They called me on Wednesday and they started working me as often as I wanted to work from that point on for like five years. So I don't have anything negative to say about him or that experience, but that was one of the rare And it hasn't been working. I have stories like uh, this place called the Looney Bin in o Oklahoma City, ran by a guy named uh, Jeff Jones. Can you guys hear me? The Looney yes. Bin in Oklahoma City. That was like one of the worst experiences for me. So one of the comments was like, yeah, you need to get in with this guy because he has four locations. And if you get in with one, you can do a run and do all four. And by this time, it was like 2013. So I'd have been do I had been doing comedy 13 years at that point. So I sent him an email and he's like, well, you'll have to feature. And I said, okay. I said, you know what? That's fine. I said, I'm trying to get in. And you know, it was just all this back and forth. The pay was low and I couldn't do it at that time. So now 2016 hits. And I think I reached back out to him. I asked if I could come and headline your club, you know, and then he was like, well, I'll feature you. I was like, okay, fine. So I get to the, the, um, the Oklahoma city location and who is the headliner, but my feature. <laughs> So, so a white male who's, uh, you know, probably been doing it about five years and he's featuring him. And I'm like, but that's my feature. So I said, okay, fine. Just go ahead and do the shows. So I think we were supposed to start on like a, I think it was like Friday, Saturday, Sunday or something. And I got there on a Thursday. 
the manager called over and said, would you mind coming to close out the open mic? You don't have to, but we do an open mic. And if you want to come out and close out a 10 or 15, I said, you know what? I'm not going to make any more money, any less money. And I'm here anyway. So I'll go ahead and close out this open mic. And so, you know, open mics aren't very good. You know, I mean, they, the crowds are usually the other open micers friends and the rest of the comedians that are local. It's not the best night. But I said, oh, well, let me go and get used to the stage, the lights, the room temperature. I can get acclimated before the real show. So I go over, I do it. I meet the two managers. They're a husband and wife team, very nice people. They tell me they're not going to be here this weekend because they're going to some fair that's happening in Oklahoma City that week. So they're going to be going and somebody else will give me my check and nice meeting you. The husband and wife team takes off. So the rest of the week, I, re I audio record my shows. So I'm having really good shows, just, you know, raucous laughter. I'm having fun with everybody. Even my political stuff is hitting, having a great time. I'm like, okay, this isn't so bad. I'm still a little bit annoyed that I'm featuring for my feature. But at least the audiences were good. They were good listeners. They were, they were good. So at the end of the week, I get my check, and then I call Jeff Jones, and I ask him, I said, yes, yeah, I, said I had a really good week was wondering if I could come back as the headline. He's like, oh, well, management said you were not funny and you didn't get any laughs and the audience just didn't relate to you, which was completely not true. I had audio recorded all of my sets. I said, hmm, management told you that? I said, so they didn't tell you that they were going out of town, they were going to a fair all weekend. <laughs> oh, God. So he starts stuttering and stuttering. I said, they couldn't have possibly told you that because they were not there. And I said, this is the kind of shit that we have to deal with unnecessarily. Some of these club owners will just make shit up. Make shit up to say something negative. He didn't want to, um, he, I, I mean, the guy, the guy was just plum crazy. Let's just put it that way. And so, um, you know, I, I'm just glad I got my money, my check cleared. I'll never go back there again. But these are the kinds of things that we have to deal with as a black comic. I remember doing a club in Philly and they were saying uh, for the black comedians, you can't say the word motherfucker. So the comedians like, can't say motherfucker. So this white guy goes up on stage and he motherfucker this, motherfucker that. <laughs> <laughs> so we're like, wait a minute now. I thought there was a moratorium. Oh, motherfucker. <laughs> so we asked the club owner, we said, well, why is it that Biff Sims is able to say motherfucker and the rest of us can't? He said, because it just sounds different when you guys say it. Ooh. I said, Ooh, so, I mean, guys. we just have stories upon, yeah, just stories upon stories like that. And, you know, all you can do is just keep going back to the drawing board, go home, continue to write, and continue to try to you know, find your voice and build your brand and do you. Because if you let these examples and instances wear you down, you can't thrive. You know, so, and as comics, I'm sure Jackie and Hope can relate to this. Every week we fucking quit. Because it just gets so, <laughs> it gets so stressful. I just and quit so yesterday. Yeah. I quit now, shit. And every, <laughs> every week we fucking quitting. Because it's just too much that we have to deal with. Every damn week. I haven't, I made a hundred dollars since March 10th <laughs> and, and I got in there to be happy as fuck. I'm sitting here right now with no bottoms on. You are mismanaging, my I, I you are mismanaging not... your pussy. Okay. That is just wrong. You're mismanaging your pussy. Okay. 
We'll talk. We'll talk after the podcast. Okay. We'll talk after, okay. Okay. I'm yeah, but I'm sitting here with no bottoms on. I'm happy as hell. I'm Winnie the Pooh in it round here because can't nobody see me. I'm, I'm just glad. You know, the the week that I'm that the COVID hit, I was supposed to go that Wednesday to the Harris at Improv, the the um, Reno. I mean, the Reno Tahoe Harris, mm-hmm. I got told on a Monday that my shows for that Wednesday were being canceled. Yeah. <laughs> so no notice, no, we're going to pay you anyway for the inconvenience. They just like, bye, bitch, fend for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the COVID hit, everything just hit. And at the end of the day, I, I feel great. Like, I'm, I'm fine. I'm, I'm not mad. Yeah. I'm coming up with a new career choice because I'm like, shit, they gave me too much time to think of some other shit to do. So I'm, I'm in a good mood. I'm not mad. I got to catch up with friends and family members I ain't been able to catch up with in 15 years. And I think that's the reason for the COVID. We lost sense of each other. We lost sense of family. We lost sense of everything that's important. Running around for this damn Hollywood dream. I'm getting older. I don't give a damn. And I'm not going to let this thing stress me out. So Hope, go ahead, girl. Take it away. Okay, what's the question? What's the question again, Judy? <laughs> How do you not mismanage your pussy? Is the that's, question. that's it. Mismanaging pussy. That's what we're talking about. I, um, I, I, you know, it's hard to tell. I mean, I I was in this business 35 years ago, and you know, there weren't any female comics, and mm-hmm. now there are hardly any female comics when you go, <laughs> you know, you go, you see the pictures and they're just like, guy, 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 guy. And I was just yeah. wondering to hear you talk and you know, yeah. the difference between whole flyers filled with nothing but men. And I asked the book, I said, you don't think the audience want to hear from a woman at all tonight? Do you know, yeah, my, is, my, is, it, my... is it a black thing or is it a woman? No, it's a woman thing. thing. It's, it's my, my experience is, See, my thing. whole world is black. So I have, I think, one white friend. Okay, two, Judy, you're my friend. And stuff okay. or whatever. So my whole world is black. I'm from South Central LA. You know, I, I, you know, so my whole world is black. And stuff. so I work a lot of black rooms because I think that my act is black. My, my act is about being a black woman in America, raising a son, you know, and being a single mother and raising him with a father that's been incarcerated most of his life and things like that. So that's my whole thing. I've only, I only date thugs and stuff, but since this pandemic and stuff, (laughs) since the pandemic, I think I'm going to start dating white boys and stuff. It's just something (laughs) I want to do and stuff or whatever. Something to try. (laughs) Something to try. And you know, as long as they don't kill me and no shit like that, you know how y'all, Set those standards high, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I I can't get pregnant. You know, I can't get pregnant and stuff. You get pregnant with a black man, he just mad. You get pregnant with a white boy, he he kill you. He put you in a river or some shit. (laughs) I ain't worried about that. I'm too old to get pregnant. And so, so my whole world is black. And so, recently I had started working and touring with Lunell, and she does a lot of mainstream comedy clubs. And the one thing she asked me to not do is say the N word. And at first I was like, oh my God, I love the N-word and stuff or whatever, <laughs> because we have taken the N-word back from its being negative and now we, we make it a positive, but y'all still can't say it and stuff or whatever. So, so I said, okay, fine. And I never missed it. I took it out of my act and I never missed it because our audience was, were mixed audiences where we're doing improvs and laugh factories and stuff. And then we get to this club 
I think in Indianapolis called crackers. And you know, <laughs> I never realized and, the name of it though. Yeah, crackers. And and me and Linnell, two big black women on stage talking about their pussy and shit all night. And we had to address it and say, I know you guys, I know in the history of this club, you guys have never booked two black female headliners at a club called Crackers and hear us talking about our pussy all night long or whatever. And it was just historic, you know, but I, I find that I, I don't work a lot of the white rooms. And, and the reason being is that I just think that it's just so hard to get in them. See black rooms, the owners want to talk to you. White rooms, they don't want to talk to you. They only want to talk to your manager, your management or something like that. So if you call, they feel like you're not worthy. You're not, you haven't arrived or something. I know my friend, uh, comedian Shane, he used to call all of the rooms. He had a list of uh, 50 to 70, almost 100 white comedy clubs across the country. And he called me one day, just really upset. I had to calm him down. So what's wrong? He said, I've been calling this club. And this guy was like, but you're black. He said, and what does that mean? Um, we don't want your kind in our room. <gasps> um, we don't care how much drinks and chicken wings and, and things you guys eat. We just don't want you guys in our room. I used to live in Dallas and stuff, and I did a room in Dallas for, for a while every Thursday night. And it was, it, was, it was a cool room. It was a white room, and they had never had black comedy there before and so they allowed us to try it there and we would pack it out we would sell tickets and i had to tell them to change the menu because they had a lot of coronas and you know calamari and you know and and and, and, and uh butt lights budweiser's and stuff i said you're gonna have to change the menu you're gonna have to get you some chicken wings on this menu you're gonna have to change the liquor you need some patron you need some vodka you need some Hennessy. And I said, because that's what black people drink. And, and then you're going to have to go up a little bit much, a little bit more because we don't tip good, you know, whatever. <laughs> and so he made so much money and then he would get drunk at the end of the night. He would make so much money and he would get drunk. And he says, how do your people? And I said, hold on, hold on. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You need to rephrase that. Well, you're, you're, you people are your people. And I'm like, why, why is that even an issue? We've packed the club out. The staff is making money. You don't even have enough chicken wings. You do, I said, that's the main thing. Do not run out of chicken. Fucking if you run out of chicken, you might as well shut this bitch down. And stuff or whatever. <laughs> not fucking run out of chicken. And stuff. Oh, am I lying? Am I lying to me? No. <laughs> not run out of chicken when you have a black night. And stuff or whatever. And they ran out of fucking chicken and it was, it was, it was all bad. And stuff. And so, but you know, he got drunk and stuff. And so I think that this, this movement, what it's doing is making everybody realize how sensitive we are and, and it's making people realize how really racist they're very, they are. Um, my son told me, black people, Judy, really can't be racist. The definition of a racist is a person or a group of people who can hold another race down. And black people just, we haven't come together enough to hold another race down. But what people do not want to talk about because these words are so bad is prejudice and bigot. You can be a bigot and you can be prejudiced. You can be prejudiced against skin color, hair color, um, somebody being fat, somebody being handicapped, somebody being crippled, somebody being can't read and stuff. So we're prejudiced against a lot of things, you know, and it's just not 
a black, you know, it's just not a white thing. But what is happening is that I think that white people don't realize what they're racist about. They're just being white. <laughs> they just don't know <laughs> that this stuff hurts our feelings and that, you know, Tupac said it best. I met him years ago. Yesterday was his birthday. He's a prolific rapper in, a, in our movement, in our culture. And he says, we're scared of the same things that you guys are scared of. We, we cross the street when we see the thugs, too. We don't, we're not in the neighborhood hanging out with the drug dealers and the gangbangers. We are scared just like you guys are scared, you know. And now we're scared of the police. I have a black son, and every day I worry about my baby, you know, and I've been able to raise him clean. He's never been to jail. He's not on drugs. He's never been on drugs. He doesn't gangbang or anything because in the, in the way I'm going to use it is not anything derogatory toward what happened because I kept my foot on his neck. I kept my knee on his neck because I didn't want him to be in the system. And so, and, and so a lot of things I wanted to do on the road, I couldn't do because I had to raise my kid. And so being a single mom in this business has been even harder and stuff because there were opportunities that I wanted to take and I couldn't take my son was graduating from school or he had a play or he had something he was doing. So there was a lot of things I could not do and stuff. And so, um, but when you walk into some of these rooms, the mainstream comedy rooms, you know, now though, let me say the, the, the tide has changed actually because black comedy is what is sustaining white comedy rooms now. Because mm. there's not that many black, there's not that many white acts, and the white acts that can do them, they're doing the big, big arenas, the Jerry Seinfelds, the Jeff Foxworthies, and all those guys, the Larry the Cable guys. They're not coming to the comedy clubs like that. They're doing the big arenas to get a big paycheck and go home. They're not doing five shows on a weekend anymore. So in order for the white clubs, what they've had to do is embrace black comedy. And black comedy is what is sustaining those rooms. You don't have to pay for those rooms. You can charge us $10, we're $15, $25. We're going to show up and everything. But then sometimes the staff is very mean to us our, and our patrons and stuff. Because it takes a lot to, to please black people. You know, we, we don't like this. Uh, two, <laughs> two drinks, $10, 15 Who had gratuity? You know, we, you know, that's just the black thing. <laughs> <laughs> Hilarious. Let, let me ask you, how do you think the Black Life Matters movement um, when comedy clubs reopen? Do you, do you, how do you feel it's going to change? You know, part of, uh, I'm, I'm thinking of canceling because, you know, the pandemic has not ended. And no. Florida, Florida, the numbers have gone back up. And my first gig back on the road is in Naples, Florida next month. And I wish to God my first show wasn't in fucking Florida. Yeah. Florida is not the most sensible place in the world when it comes to race or anything happening in the world that's serious. They kind of think, we're, we're going to the beach. They, were, they broke quarantine in March. You know what I'm saying? They quarantined for two and a half days, and they were like, look, I feel fine. You look fuck fine. It. I'm fucking. I'm going to the beach. So I'm, I'm still, I'm smiling. I have my full face of makeup on, but I'm not okay. I don't sleep well at night. I'm always kind of antsy. I'm always tense. I'm drinking more, you know, because I'm like, every day I wake up, as in a day lynching, you know, blacks again. Every morning I get up, it's like four of them so far. So I'm not okay i'm just being okay so i can be okay and because at the end of the I'm, day jackie at the yeah. end of the day no matter how proper you talk no matter yeah. how much education you have or any yeah. of that 
that this this we can't we can't do nothing about this. Exactly. This is what you see when you walk in the door. We are black and you see this yeah. when you when you see us. So it doesn't matter. People don't try to get to know us yeah. and judge us individually. It's all yeah. very collective. And that's and the I'm, problem. Yeah. And I'm wor- and I'm actually worried. Like if and when yeah. I do that gig in Florida next month, I'm on edge. And if well, I get anybody, if anybody says something crazy to me, it, you know, I'm going to be in the news. So well, I'm actually I'm- worried. I'm not going to nobody's club until the, the 2021 because I got too many comorbidities. They ain't killing me over no damn joke. First of all, you indoors and people laughing, mouth wide open, looking at the back of their molars. <laughs> COVID just running all out the back of their throat. So I'm not doing nothing till 2021. Uh, yeah, I got asthma. I was born. I, I didn't have asthma since I was six months old. That thing jumped on me. I'm dead. So y'all can go ahead and take my jacket. I give you any bookings they called me for, but I'm living up in here. Give them to me. Give them to me. I'm I hope, hope I give them to but, you. I'm, I'm living. But my worry is not so much the pandemic. It's more the racism. Racism. Oh, you know, I ain't worried about no racism. I'm, I know. I'm worried about, look, white people, as much as I say how they come to my shows, they are the most intrusive, inappropriate. They can be inappropriate, intrusive, yeah. uh, not knowing their boundaries. And Especially when they get some liquor in them. Yes, and they feel like they have a right to yeah. grab you, hug you, touch you. And I've had in the last few months, as because I'm 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 the most junior compared to Alicia and Hope, and I just started headlining the world in the last maybe you know four or five years and hardcore because of America's Got Talent in uh, 2019. I didn't know audiences were like this, you know. So I'm like. Mm-hmm. With everything going on right now, I'm not in the headspace to go entertain a room full of white people who, after the show, want to touch me. And I'm like, but you know, there's not going to be no touching. But they might not want to <laughs> do it because of the pandemic. Anybody come towards you, just cough. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've seen, is, I've seen pictures. They want to touch though, you. Yeah, but the thing is, it, the thing that bothers us the most, actually, about the colonizers is that... <laughs> They don't think the rules apply to them, Judy. Oh, Judy, we saw that with Amy Cooper. Remember the lady with the bird watching lady? The lady with the bird watching? Now everybody's named Karen because Karen keep calling the police on us (laughs) and stuff or whatever. (laughs) And and we y'all don't think the rules apply to y'all. I can be at the airport. We travel all over the world. We stand in the line. White people go right up to the counter. And we like, do you see the line? I just want to ask a question. Well, I want to ask a goddamn question too. That's why I'm in the fucking line. And so, but let me do it. They won't let me on the flight. Let me say stuff. I've, I've been on flights where the racism has been really real. Well, I was on a flight with a guy and he did not want to sit. I had the middle seat. And when I sat in my seat, he didn't even want me to sit there. And then he sat like this in the whole seat, like, to himself like and i said i know you want this to rub off on you but it will not rub off on you okay you still gotta go get a tan and and risk skin cancer but i wear this every single day and i'm judged by it every day and we're scared judy we are very scared about what's going on and i'm not i'm not saying living in fear but we we are concerned and then because there's no protection in the comedy club there's no No. lunell said it best they're not going to be happy until some comics gets really, really hurt in a comedy club because there's no guard. There's no protection there and stuff. So 
for by the time they get in from the outside where they're counting the money and they're more concerned about the money coming in the door than the comics and being inside, then then you're, you don't know if some, they're not checking people. You don't know if people have guns. We don't know what's going on. We're just here to make people laugh and we don't know the climate or the mentality or the person's mental capacity. So it, it's, it, it can be scary on all ends. So yeah. And, yeah. and, and I, so I we also- have, We have a, a, just a few more minutes. And so, mm-hmm. and uh, it, this has just been fascinating. And, and, you know, there are even people listening to this who feel that they are woke, you know, they are progressive, <laughs> right? But- <laughs> What you're really saying, unless you've walked in our shoes, you you really can't feel really understand. Well, no, no what way. we are saying, right? what we are saying, Judy, is that it's going to take white people to stand up for us. We cannot do it. Hey, we have how prayed. How do we do that? How we do have we- prayed, we have kneeled, we have voted, we have died, we have done everything that we can to say now y'all don't even want to look at it, not y'all, but white folks don't even want to look at it as black lives matter. You want to say all lives matter. Well, the fuck yeah, all lives matter. But right now we're dealing with black lives because two black, four black people have been hung in the last two weeks here. Oh, so no, they're, now, they're, now they're hanging us and saying we're committing suicide. Black people don't commit suicide. It's against our fucking religion. We don't do it. We feel like we're not going to go to the heaven if we commit suicide. So we don't commit suicide. Why are they hanging us? Why are they killing our men? It's enough shortage of black men as it is, and they are killing us in the streets dead. And it's very scary for routine traffic stops, for things that Dylan Roof killed, went in a church and killed people, and they took him to Burger King. You know, and, and, and we are tired, Judy. We are tired of this. And we, it, yeah. it's going to take you guys, you guys and the millennials. The beautiful thing about our millennials is that they don't see color because the the people that instill and have taught race racism are dead. Their grandparents, their great-grandparents, they don't live in the home. They're dead. So they don't have that. And then the schools are integrated now. So you'll see an Asian with a, with a, a Hispanic. You'll see a Filipino with a black person. You'll see a Mexican with white. And, they, and they, they embrace each other. You'll hear a Chinese kid say, I'm going to Jorge's house and have uh, burritos or ensenadas or something like that. And you'll hear Jorge say, I'm going to Jet Li's house and have... Um, Sushi. They've never done this before. So these kids, the millennials are fearless. They're out there protesting and they're going to get shit done. And we have to allow them to do that. We got to allow them to do it by any means necessary. If it means burning this bitch down to be heard, then that's what it is and stuff. But we're scared of the same stuff you guys are scared of. We're not animals. We're not animalistic. We're not for all from broken homes. We're not all you know, uh, gangbangers uneducated and, and, and uneducated. And uneducated. And, yeah. I mean, yeah. these girls here yeah. have degrees and stuff. Mm-hmm. We're not uneducated. Mm-hmm. You know, we are beautiful, amazing, talented people. And unless we're dancing or, or acting or jigabooing or running a ball down the court or, or down the field, you guys, they don't see us. They don't right. see us other than that. So let me mm-hmm. just end. We just like have a few minutes. Can you each like for one minute each just tell me what would you be your hope that that um people who aren't black can do to 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 
anything to improve. Well, I mean, I, yeah, I, I spent a lot of time on social media, and a lot of the times I'm just reading the comments. And one thing that really gets me is I hate when people, a lot of people are purposely being obtuse. They know what the message is, but they try to act yeah. like they don't. When they, yeah. they, when you say Black Lives Matter, and they come back with All Lives Matter, they know what they're doing because they yeah. know what you were doing. The people who tried to say that Kaepernick was trying to disrespect the military and the flag, they knew that that was never what that man was doing. He even explained it to them in plain English that this was not about the military or not about the flag. But people who want to be racist but pretend like they have a legitimate reason try to act like they don't understand the message. Black Lives Matter is not a terrorist organization. So as white people, when y'all hear somebody say that, please correct them. It's an organization that's responding to black tyranny, police brutality, inequality, and things of that nature. Sometimes the word black triggers people, you know, and that's, and that's, that's really all that's happening. When I first got to LA, the job that I had on my resume, because I worked in television production at the time, was black entertainment television. You won't realize how many job interviews I went on, but damn near entry-level jobs. And they tried to put my resume down because it had black entertainment television on it. Like that made me less than or made my work experience wow. less than. And I had to explain to them that I'm the one you should hire because we did six jobs each. <laughs> so yeah. while you're trying to put it down, you should really be grabbing me up first. You know, yeah. so it's just so many things that we've had to deal with. The word black triggers people. But I feel, a, I feel like it's a better time, a different day, a new day. I have to say that until we get Donald Trump out of the White House, there's still going to be a lot of unnecessary division because you have him stoking the flames from the inside and it's not helping anybody. So once we get him out, we'll also be able to make these people that feel emboldened not do the dumb shit they're doing. We didn't have all these weekly hangings under other presidents, but other presidents didn't get behind the podium and say, if you commit a crime, I'll pay your legal fees. And when you're putting somebody in the car, cops, don't yeah. be nice, hit, hit their head, <laughs> put them in the car. First yeah. of all, these people well, at this point are just suspects. They have what, the, what is called in America, due process. So why would you bang their head into a fucking car when you don't even know if they're legitimately being detained? Yeah. So it's just his ignorance just trickles down. Oh, yeah. And, and it just Thank gets you. so frustrating. Thank you. And, and Jackie, do you have one minute to just... Um, if I... You know, I, I retraining, I think part of the problem with the cops is that, you know, a cop doesn't really have to do anything besides barely graduate high school and get a GED to be given a Glock and a gun and be able to enforce the law. And I'm like, they should have to go to college. Two year, I say a two-year associate degree and psychological, you know, background check and training before they're allowed to be in the streets. Um, I What I have learned is that I... I'm more angry than I realize. Like when I get a troll on Facebook, they, the last guy was like, why does it always have to be about race? And I lost my fucking mind and I was cursing him in every uh, inarticulate way, you know, and I, but I didn't have to fight that long. A lot of my white followers and white friends jumped in and literally lynched him verbally. And I, I need more of that. You know, like I would love to see more, uh, people who are not black defending us when they see somebody who is ignorant trying to come for me because that's all we do all day. We're on Twitter, we're on Facebook, we're arguing with somebody in the real world, and it's like it's exhausting. That's part of why black people are always so tired nowadays because I'm like, every day I gotta get up and do this. So I would love <laughs> for people who are not black to be like, it's all of our jobs to educate and scold and, if necessary, set on fire 
the, 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 the problem that we're having. You know, don't make the problem be only Black people's problem. It has to be everybody's problem. Latinos, Asians, because, you know, some people who are, who are not white, they think, well, you know, it's a Black problem. It's an Asian problem. It's a Latino problem. It's an it's a LGBTQIA, LMNOP problem. It, it, you know, it's just, yes. it, it yes. can't be, it can't be, we have to get out of this mindset that white men control and run the world because they've been doing it for so long and they've been doing a fucked up job. Yes. So we need, we need leadership to change. We need training to be more prominent in jobs of power. We need social media. I want my gangsters who are not black to stick up for me because if we all fight, people who are the ignorant ones and the racist and the evil ones, they'll get tired. They'll get exhausted. Mm -hmm. And at some point they'll realize we all, you know, when, when you need blood, you're not, you know, you're not gonna, you're not gonna see it. Can I have somebody black? Give me blood. You want somebody who's around and has healthy blood to donate blood. Like there's yeah. a, this is mindset that we're not all in this world together. But mm -hmm. when there's an accident, when there's a big calamity, when there's a natural disaster, we're helping each other. There's nobody so, white helping just white. We're helping everyone. Yeah. And I, it's I, empathy. I, empathy. I, I, and I, and I hope wanna you want to bring it home because. Um, yeah, I want to bring it home. And I want to say this. And I'm going to try not to be emotional. But Judy, if I, could, if I could say anything to your listeners, stop killing us. Just stop killing us. What have we done that is so bad that you guys kill us? What have we done? Haven't we suffered enough? We came over here on the ships, 100 million African-Americans died in slavery in the transition. We come over here, we have been beaten. We have been castrated. We don't, these are not our last names. We don't really know who we are. We're already lost as a people and we are just trying to live and be happy and harmony. We are trying to have better lives and stuff. Just stop killing us. Stop killing us. Just stop killing us. And that's all I got to say. Just that's, stop killing us. Wow. Well, I, amen. I, I, amen. Just stop killing us. Just amen. stop killing us. Because we don't, we, 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 everything that has happened to us, it's not our fault. It's not our fault. And, and, and we're just trying to live in harmony. And what have we done so bad that you guys feel like it is okay to just kill us and, and, and be justified to stop killing us? If I can say anything, just stop killing us. Thank you. That's it. Thank That's you it. And also, Judy, also yeah. Judy, Black folks, we suffer from a form of PTSD as well. You can't constantly turn on the TV and see people who look like you or remind you of family members getting killed and walk away from that unchanged. Yes. You know, so it's, we have a form of PTSD. And you it's know, killing so our kids, like our children, and children, our men. We already have all our, our men are incarcerated and 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 you're and then you're killing us and then you you wonder why we can't raise our sons we can't raise our children because we don't have fathers in the home because they're all incarcerated 80 percent of the people incarcerated are innocent or wrongly accused and it's 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 bad it's bad just stop killing us please thank you stop thank us. you so much Hope you're welcome you're welcome for you're the welcome. words Thank you, Jackie. Fabulous.
Um, thank you for having for me. Thank inside. you, Judy, for doing this. Thank, thank you for doing you, this. Alicia Cooper, you all mean so much to me. You so mean so much to us. You, you do too. You know, what you've done, which I hope what, you, what you've done for uh, my listeners is that you've connected us to our hearts because I'm so moved by what you said. And, and, and hopefully we create more compassion and more empathy and we all work to make a difference. Thank we you. are not monsters. We are not monsters. Thank Just you so much. Us. You're welcome, Thank Judy. You. Thank, Thank you for doing you. this. Thank you. For your special gift, go to themessageofyou.com. That's themessageofyou.com and get your free one-year subscription to the Message of You University, which is full of lessons to help you find your message and turn it into a book, a TED Talk, or a paid speaking career. That's themessageofyou.com.